Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. I think the most important part of the food system is healthy soil. And so whether you build that through zero footprint, whether you start composting, whether you start maybe even learning more about those opportunities in soil, I feel like I wish I had done that many years earlier as a chef. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. April of 2020 was going to be a magical month for my restaurant. We had spent over a year working towards carbon neutrality, and that was the month we were finally going to achieve it. Obviously, my plans were derailed by the pandemic, but I never lost sight of the importance of environmental responsibility. What I learned through that process was that it's possible to run a sustainable operation and be profitable. One of our key strategic partners was Zero Foodprint. In this episode, I chat with Anthony Mint, the Director of Partnerships at Zero Foodprint. In our conversation, we get down to the nitty gritty, discussing what the move towards sustainability looks like, as well as the associated costs, time commitments, and ultimately, the benefits. Well, we began doing pop-up restaurants in 2008, before that even was a term. We did that for a few years, and it turned into a permanent pop-up called Mission Chinese Food. That gained popularity in San Francisco, and then we opened a location in New York. And the one in New York was ostensibly just in a shitty takeout window. And miraculously, it won Restaurant of the Year in the New York Times in 2012. And so we just found ourselves kind of at the chef conference, like drinking a beer with the number one chef in the world. So I mean, fast forward a few years, my wife and I had a daughter, and we just started to think a lot about climate change and really like the food system in general. I never really ate super sustainably or organically or all these things growing up, but really that kind of parenthood was transformative in terms of like focusing on these things. So we wanted to start using our access to all this cultural capital in the industry, all the fiscal capital industry in the industry, and even just like our own platforms to just start working on solutions. So that's how Zero Foodprint began. And then what was the original mission? When you guys started it, the idea was what? Well, we wanted to almost just figure out a way for restaurants to be part of the climate solution. Where we began was doing a life cycle assessment. So that's basically like an analysis of the operation. And we kind of learned, okay, you know, 25% is from energy use, 6% is from waste hauling, 70% is from ingredients, whatever those numbers turned out to be. And that was really eye-opening because Mission Chinese was doing a lot of delivery and stuff. And so I had just assumed that a lot of it was like packaging and not sourcing locally and all these things. It turns out like transportation and stuff like that, for most of the whole food system, it's only about like 3% of the carbon footprint. Almost all of it is just how the ingredient was produced. So like in the case of Mission Chinese, it was like 75%, 70% was the ingredients. So we spent a long time trying to work on initiatives around making better choices, basically. And I'll get into this later, but we started to realize at some point, actually making 
direct change isn't even possible. That's what's necessary. Like when you're making better choices, you sort of are just making a better choice and hoping the system changes. And at this point now, I think we have arrived on a way to make direct change. And talk to me about that. Well, it was a really, really long and winding path, to be honest. We started to learn about regenerative agriculture and this ability for soil to basically restore the carbon that used to be in the soil and has now been released into the atmosphere. So for lack of a better description, industrial farming involves a lot of like farming against nature and kind of using a lot of chemistry and growing food and farming basically should be like a biological enterprise. And so we've essentially like ignored the biology for decades. You plow up the land, all the microorganisms and all the things get released in the atmosphere and die and stuff. You pour chemicals on it, all these things. And that has really bad effects for climate. Like hundreds of billions of tons of carbon have been released from soil into the atmosphere. And it has really bad effects for nutrition. If you look at a picture of people at the beach, like in 1970, everybody's thin. If you look at a picture now, everybody's fat. And ultimately what has happened is the soil biology is not there anymore. And so the minerals in the soil are not bioavailable to the plant. The copper and the zinc and the selenium, it's all there in the soil. The plant's not getting it because there's not biology getting it into the plant. In the same way that like, if you don't have a healthy gut or whatever, even if you take some vitamins, it doesn't get into your body. And so there's all these studies from like the USDA and all these things where like you can look at the vitamin A, the calcium, whatever of broccoli or kale, you know, and it's just like down 50%, down 30%, whatever, since 1970. And so many of the problems of society are just linked to the fact that the soil is not healthy. What's exciting about regenerative ag is that you could basically just maybe even in one decade, get all that carbon out of the atmosphere and back into the soil as healthy soil carbon and solve like many problems at once. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of restaurateurs listening. They, they can empathize with the situation. But again, like they're busy worried about that dishwasher that didn't show up. How can they help with regenerative ag? So we took that same question of like, what can we do to help scale regenerative ag? And so we did what many restaurants and chefs and food people think, which is like, I'm going to buy from the best farmers I can, and I'm going to tell the story. And we were doing this at a restaurant called The Perennial in San Francisco. We were basically championing regenerative agriculture starting back in 2015. And there's a ranch that we were buying from, just as one example. So they were managing the way the cattle graze regenerative grazing, or also called adaptive multi-paddock grazing. On one-tenth of the ranch, they were part of a biogeochemistry pilot program where they were doing research, um, some universities like Berkeley and others. And so they applied a quarter-inch layer of compost on 350 of the acres. They're testing the soil each year. So the ranch at large is taking in about half a ton of carbon per acre per year. So it's already basically like climate beneficial, doing really good work. On the part with the compost, it was taking in something like six tons per acre per year. And so the compost had like jump-started the carbon sequestration. And after like five years, that was equivalent to not burning about a million gallons of gas. Wow. So it's like radically climate beneficial. 
And so that helped, first of all, for us to understand like, oh man, making better choices has very little to do with what the ingredient is. It's not like beef versus tofu versus an impossible burger or something. It has almost everything to do with how the ingredient was grown. Like beef from an Amazon deforestation feedlot is like way, way worse than beef from just a regular feedlot. Beef from a carbon ranch is like way, way better than veggies or anything because it's taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And what we started to realize over time is, crap, nothing's changing. And at some point I was at a happy hour with a soil scientist or something and they said, hey, guess what? After 50 years, the whole organic movement is about one to 2% of acres. Wow. So it started to become clear to me that buying the good stuff and then hoping the system changes was not as effective as just directly changing the system. And so that's kind of the theory of change that we began with when we started collaborations with the California Department of Food and Agriculture and the California Resource Conservation Districts who kind of help farmers implement regenerative agriculture. And so it was really eye-opening because basically they are funding carbon farming. So the issue is that to change like 50% of acres, you know, 80% of acres to make a really big shift in the whole food system, it would take like billions and billions of dollars. So even though where California is doing a lot, the opportunity is so immense and actually like so optimistic. And what the overall study finds is just using 1% of GDP each year would be enough to lower global temperatures. So let that sink in for a minute. Society can not just go carbon neutral, but go so carbon negative or climate beneficial that temperatures would go down if we could just find the willpower to use 1% of GDP. What are you doing every day? Is it about trying to raise funds in lieu of the billions of dollars needed? Yeah, so that's what Zero Free Print did is we sort of shifted from this like purity contest model. Let's do the absolute best we can. And we embarked on what we call a table to farm movement. And so it's kind of like the complement to the farm to table movement. And so Zero Free Print members now are just sending 1% to regenerative egg. They could be adding a 1% fee completely paid by the customer. Usually people do that as an opt-out. Some other businesses are, you know, just internalizing the cost. I'll just figure it out. Like it would be the same as like my food cost going from 24% to 25%. I'll just make mm-hmm. it work. Some others are kind of doing it in a more transparent way, but kale salad was 12 bucks. I'm going to make it $12.12. But I think at the end of the day, the reality is that consumers want sustainable choices. I think there was some research from IBM saying like 70% of consumers are willing to pay 35% more for the sustainable thing, right? And that kind of tracks closely with many of our own experiences. In this case, the proposal is, hey, just pay 1% more, but let's just send that 1% directly to cover the cost of the cover crops and the compost and the labor and the tree plantings and all the different things so that farmers can actually make these changes And so that it's not just the regenerative farmer who's doing it. It could be the new young farmer. It could be the conventional farmer kind of taking their first or second step, but giving the food economy basically a way to have every purchase be part of the solution instead of just a couple rich people buying the good stuff. I think you bring up a really interesting point. And I can remember when Chef Sammy Mansour and I partnered on Prue and Proper the restaurant had already been in operation for a year and we were buying from Cisco and 
all of that. And I had asked him, I said, you talk a lot about sustainability. We're making very different choices. We're now ordering from local farmers. We were composting. I mean, we did everything there was that he knew to do. He was on the Blue Ribbon Task Force, super active in sustainability and in that community and pushing that forward. And my first question to him, you know, we had just started working together. I said, well, you know, do you think people will care? And he goes, today? No, but they will. And the real aha moment for me was somebody came into the restaurant because they had found us on the Seafood Watch app. And for everybody listening, they're like, the what app? And it's, there's a Seafood Watch app that has all of the restaurants that are sourcing sustainable seafood in it. And it's a consumer product. They're using it to find people and restaurants that mimic their own ideology. And so what you're talking about is super timely and people do seem into it now more than ever, right? I think so. I mean, I think especially after the pandemic, a lot of us probably learned a little bit about the food system during that time. And a lot of people have been, I think like CSA sales are at an all-time high and so many things are going in a good direction. And so I think part of our work at Zero Food Print is to try and help tell that story and help connect that sustainable consumer to restaurants that are making a difference. Now, how does a restaurant position it typically? I think that's what's interesting about the restaurant industry is that there's so many shapes and sizes and customers. We'd be at the perennial trying to tell this story about world-saving ingredients. And a lot of the time it would be like just two people on a date or something. They kind of just want to know that we're taking care of it. They don't want to know the nitty gritty. And then there's other customers who would be like, can I email you? Can you send me more information? I want to learn more about this and stuff. So it's a really wide range. And I think we try to just provide the tools and assets for restaurants to meet their customer where they're at. So social media things and farm stories and different things. And I think that's what's exciting in a way, because that thing where the name of the farm was on the menu, that farm to table 1.0, let's say that it's almost boring for people now to see that. And so I think what we're offering is almost like not just the name of the farm, here is the work that the farm is doing and why it's important, but also your actual purchase, a couple cents of that helped the farm do 25 cents more of that. That's actually funding it. And so I think that if or when that starts to become part of the new normal post-pandemic and stuff, then I think that's what's really powerful and exciting. And like the really big opportunity in food is to go table to farm, basically. I can imagine that there were common issues when auditing restaurants across the board that you saw with relatively simple fixes. Can you run me through some of those? Yeah, I'd love to. So when we started the perennial, it was almost like a lab for sustainability where we were kind of saying like, what if you put the environment on the same level as like cuisine and let's make both, you know, balance all the choices. So we had things like the hood over the range and stuff like that. It was demand controlled. And so just instead of being on all day, it would just turn on when there was smoke or turn on when there was heat and stuff. It had little sensors and things. And so basically, like at this point in technology and in the world, how would that make sense to just have like a giant motor running for 12 hours all day? So that's a big one. Just like on the equipment side, if you can switch to renewable energy, just like on your energy bill, go for it. As I was saying before with compost, that's actually maybe like the number one most important thing with regenerative ag. 
it's not always framed that way. You hear a lot about like no-till and cover crops and all the things or, or just not even anything about specific practices. It's just lumped together, regenerative ag. But I think in the long run, people will start to view almost like the main thing as compost. And it makes a lot of sense. It's almost like the carbon and the biology used to be in the soil. We do industrial chemical ag, release it all into the atmosphere. And then all the organic matter too, we're like from the whole human food system, basically, we take it, put it in a plastic bag, tie it up, bury it, keep it from going back into the food production and into the soil. And then guess what? The soil has less biology in it, right? And so over time, I think it'll start to become clear, like, okay, the number one thing we can do is compost almost in the same way that for cars, like, okay, switch to an electric car, right? And so for food, the number one thing I think is going to be like composting eventually. One way to, of course, is like reduce food waste. So let's say you sear things off in butter. Let's say you're making chicken stock. Save all the chicken fat, use that to sear stuff off. There's all these like simple conservation measures that everybody can take. Beef has a high environmental footprint if it is produced in the conventional way. And so if you're using a lot of beef, is there a way to either switch a few percent of it, 10% of it with regeneratively grown beef or some other quinoa cooked in the beef fat, you know, or like rice, some mushroom stems and whatever, blend it up. Like any single thing that you can do to kind of use a little bit less feedlot beef is valuable. So there's all those kinds of better choices. But then I think, again, going back to this earlier point, the issue is even if one person used 10 pounds less of beef in their kitchen per year or per week or whatever. Like that's a lot, 10 pounds a week. Great. Congratulations. But then a company like Cargill, like a really big beef producer, produces 7 billion pounds of beef per year. And if your restaurant bought 10 pounds less, Cargill is just going to ship 10 pounds of extra beef to China or something like that. It doesn't actually make a change in the whole food system. It's just kind of shifting a little bit of the consumption to a different place. So really to make the change is to get the rancher in the Cargill feedlot to apply a bunch of compost and plant a bunch of trees and do all these things. The issue right now is Cargill won't pay them an extra buck per pound to do that. I'm not blaming Cargill even, but if McDonald's was adding five cents per burger, you'd have $130 million to pay the farmer to plant the trees and apply the compost and do all the things. So there's an opportunity for everyone in the food system to become part of the solution And it doesn't mean like reinventing your program. It just means sending money to the solution. 100%. Composting was something we did and there was no associated cost. It's one of those few things that you can do. And I agree with you when you talk about reducing the beef on the menu and that doesn't have a massive impact. But composting does and it can have an impact on a local level. And so I'm curious to know, tips, tricks, best practices for composting? I mean, so there's a lot of different levels of sophistication with compost processing, which is to say it's complicated, actually. At the restaurant level, keep the gloves out, sort as well as you can or whatever. But at the actual processing level, there's a lot going on where they have like screens and machines and everything's getting kind of like filtered through like a quarter inch screen or different things after the compost is made and stuff. And so basically it's like really, really bad if glass gets in because that can break and then get through the screens and stuff. But it's like if that one plastic glove or whatever gets in, it's not like they have to throw away the batch. And so it's like way more important to just start doing it than to not do it because you're worried about it being perfect. 
as the world begins to reopen, have you guys seen more interest in the initiative? That's a great question. You know, I feel like the pandemic has helped everybody kind of understand that in order to make real change, we need collective action. And I think a lot of people are from living wage to all kinds of things, looking forward to not going back to business as usual and kind of starting a kind of mutually prosperous new food economy after the pandemic. And I mean, why not? Everybody's business model is blown up. (laughs) And it's also a situation where like maybe 20% of the restaurants are no longer competing with you. So maybe you have a new revenue stream through takeout and then you're going to add Eden again and you might be doing okay for a little while. We've noticed an uptick in like inbound interest. So I think as people are learning about regenerative agriculture, then I think it kind of has this same mini voyage of discovery where it's like, okay, great. I should start sourcing better. Okay, great. It's really hard to even find regenerative farms. How do I get them in my supply chain? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, here's another way where I can just help kind of almost transform my own supply chain into regenerative. Cool. That's really easy. I'm in. And so as more people learn about the program, I think we're getting more inbound interest, but it's also really so hard to kind of reach out to people right now because everybody's in a weird headspace and a lot of people are short staffed and different things. So it's hard to like get that meeting or whatever. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement? My words of encouragement are we can solve the climate crisis. I think the most important part of the food system is healthy soil. And so whether you build that through zero footprint, whether you start composting, whether you start kind of just maybe even learning more about those opportunities in soil, I feel like I wish I had done that many years earlier as a chef. That's Anthony Mint. To learn more about Anthony and his organization, go to zerofoodprint.org. You've been listening to... If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. 